0: Well, good morning. Um, here we are, May 2nd, 2022, the beginning of this last week of classes for this spring semester. For many of you in the room, I know you're looking ahead to, to new beginnings, even as the demands of, of the semester's end are commanding your attention today. In particular, for you who are nearing the end of your journey here at Northwestern, this time of transition is especially poignant for you, And so we offer this graduates chapel service today as a chance to help you reflect, to look back, to look ahead, and to consider how God has been working in your life during your time here, and, and to dream together about how he might continue to work in your life and do amazing things in you and through you. I'm happy this morning to welcome our three speakers, Dr. Janet Summers, Provost and Senior Vice President for Academic Affairs, Dr. Kirtan, President of the University of Northwestern, and Nina Barnes, Vice President for Student Life and Human Resources. They'll each offer words of encouragement and reflection for us this morning. But first, uh, let's share a word of prayer together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Bless our gathering today as as we reflect on your grace, as we reflect on your kindness to these young lives and and celebrate the endings and celebrate the beginnings of the opportunities, opportunities you provide, God. Empower us all to live lives worthy of the calling you've given us as we walk together with you through this life. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. So now would you join me in welcoming up Dr. Janet Summers.
1: Thank you, you, Darren. Well, good morning, everyone. On behalf of Academic Affairs, I'd like to begin by congratulating our graduating seniors. Over these past several years, our faculty and our staff have loved watching God work in amazing ways in your lives. We are so proud of your perseverance and all the hard work that you did to get to this huge milestone in your academic and personal lives. But students, I know you must be tired. So commencement is right around the corner, so hang in there. I'll be excited to shake hands with each of you as you walk across the stage just 12 days from now. In the few minutes that I have with you this morning, I'd like to unpack briefly three simple, but powerful truths. Number one, change is inevitable. Fear is our natural response. And courage is our calling. The writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter three reminds us that for everything there is an appointed time, an appropriate time for every activity on earth. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh and the list continues. For our purposes today, we could add to that list a time to enroll at the University of Northwestern and a time to graduate from UNW. What the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't mention, however, are the challenges we face when moving from one phase or activity to the next, what's called the liminal space, the space in between when we are poised on the edge of something new. Now this period of transition and change is unavoidable for us as human beings. We move through life frequently entering and exiting all kinds of times and seasons, don't we? And as we do so, we sometimes find that the process of change, while it may be incredibly exciting, can also be difficult to navigate. Despite the fact that change is inevitable and at times greatly desired, transitions can be uncomfortable and sometimes downright scary. Fear is often our natural impulse when we are confronted with change. When change disrupts our status quo, alters our daily habits, or redefines who we are and what we do, our first reaction may be to resist moving forward even though we actually may want to move forward. Why do you think that is true? Well, author Paula D'Arcy provides a thoughtful explanation when she writes, to step out onto a new road means letting go of a measure of control in exchange for the new freedom. Fear in response to change may arise because in the midst of the change, we usually cannot control what happens next. We do not know what lies around the bend and we fear its impact on our lives. Even as you eagerly await graduation, questions of all kinds may be swirling in your mind. Will I be able to land a good job that pays the bills? Will I get along with my coworkers? How will I relate to my family in this new role? Will I like the work that I will be doing? Will I be a success or failure? At the root of all these questions, perhaps, lies a fundamental question that forms the crux of all our fears. Will I be okay? Well, I'm here today to remind you of something you already know. In the midst of an ine- inevitable transition and change, in the swirl of fears and questions is a place of central calm. As we recognize and settle into this place, we realize that our safety, our well-being, is dependent not on our outward circumstances, which may be in a constant state of flux. Rather, our well-being is dependent upon an inner sanctum where space and time no longer exist, a place where we are held in suspension by hands we cannot see with a love we sometimes cannot even feel. A place where our safety is so secure that despite the winds of change and the clouds of fear, it is well with our soul. This, graduates, is the place of the beloved. The God of the universe speaks these truths amidst disruptive change and paralyzing fears. He declares in the book of Isaiah, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. Graduates, as you find yourself in the swirl of change, as you face your fears and questions, know that you are called to courage. You have the power to face whatever the future may hold because you are held by the one who created you. You can navigate change and quell your fears by responding to his voice when he whispers, peace, be still. All throughout the Bible, the supernatural courage is clearly evident in the lives of Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Esther, Rahab, Ruth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter, John, and the other disciples. All throughout history, this supernatural courage is also seen in the lives of such committed Christians as Joan of Arc, William Tyndale, Corey Tenboom, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Roger Udarian, Martin Luther King Jr., Johnny Erickson Tada. And you know, The best part of all of this is that the supernatural courage is yours and mine today. It is our calling and it is a gift given by a God who knows the changes we must face and the fears that instinctively arise. Graduates, may the Lord empower and equip you with his courage as you continue one step at a time in your journey of trusting his love and his goodness. He will never fail you. So may God bless you richly today and in the months and years to come. God be with you strongly. Our next speaker is our president, Dr. Alan Curriton. Please welcome him to the podium.
2: Good morning, Northwestern. It's great to be here and I am privileged, thank you, Darren, for giving me this opportunity to share with you this last week, a few days before classes wrap up, we have finals next week and then graduates commencement. In the last few chapters of Matthew, the book of Matthew, Christ is giving parable after parable after parable because he knows his time with the disciples is coming to an end. And he's giving them examples and teaching them about what they need to do in the hopes that they'll remember and apply it in their lives. One of the passages I wanna share with you uh, is during that time when he's with his disciples Because I believe you need to hear this, especially graduates and current students, you need to hear this because evidence of what we believe is the way we act. Let me repeat that. Evidence of what you and I believe is in the way we act. We cannot turn that responsibility of fulfilling the cause of Christ over to the church or over to the government. We need to be doing it. You and I, following Jesus, caring for other people. So I'm gonna read this out of Matthew 26. But the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and then he will sit on the glorious throne and all the nations, all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Actions, evidence that this is your faith. So I'm gonna show you a video that I've shared in chapel years ago, but this video is, was incredibly powerful to me in giving the example of what happens when I have an opportunity to act as Christ when the situation comes up. And this is what I'm saying to you. You've got to be prepared for those times when you have an opportunity to be Christ and decide that ahead of time. Let's see this video. I apologize that it's not Last as clear time, as it should be, Stanton, but enjoy. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead guys. Yeah.
3: taught their kids about the danger of strangers would serve them in a real life situation. Today he puts the public to the test. With the help of seven-year-old Raquel, Bill staged an abduction to see if the public would take action. Raquel's mom, Deborah, watched from a surveillance van as Raquel was approached by Bill. Hey, where were you, young lady?
4: You're not my dad! You're not my dad! It's
3: unbelievable, but they oh. didn't. help me! Bill and Raquel repeated this time after time.
4: Please, someone help me! You're not my dad! Please, someone help me! You're not my dad! Please, not my dad. Still, no response. Please! Hey, hey. Please! It's frightening that, that
3: nobody would help. One woman walked right by, believing someone else would take action. and why didn't she do anything
4: you think that uh, someone else will take the blame someone else will take the responsibility
3: a police sergeant on location to supervise was stunned I felt it was unbelievable that people just didn't want to get involved they'd look they turn around they'd see with a commotion but they just kept on walking Uh, They didn't want to get involved, in my opinion. Bill would have been long gone with seven-year-old Raquel. It took hours, but two men finally listened to their instincts.
4: TV, 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 TV. Cops right there, cops right there.
3: Good job. She was saying, stop, someone help me. She's not my dad, he's not my dad. And I was like, first I thought she was being a little disobedient, but then
4: you weren't saying nothing, so I was like, we gotta stop this guy. I parked the car and uh, I just ran over to get him. Yeah, I was gonna take him down, man. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't gonna happen. And I got to tell you, all you guys were good. You spread out. I wasn't getting away. You guys weren't letting a bad guy go anywhere. That was amazing. I actually had tears in my eyes, but everyone ran out, and I was like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe that they did what they did. And you would expect more people to react that way. I think just people are afraid to get involved.
2: When Christ is asked, who is my neighbor? He responds, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and his money and they beat him up and left him dead beside the road. By chance, a university president was walking alongside and saw the man lying there and crossed the other side of the road and passed him. A religious leader walked over and looked at him lying there and he also passed on the other side. But then a despised homeless person came along and saw the man and felt deep compassion. Kneeling beside him, the homeless man smoothed the wounds with medicine and bandaged them. The next day he handed it to the innkeeper and told him to take care of the man. I will try to find the money to cover the bill and I will pay whatever needs to be paid. Students, my point is, you have gotta decide ahead of time when the opportunity arises, will you act? Or will you walk by? And I pray that you don't. But we live in a world that's gonna walk by. We live in a world that's not gonna respond, but the world needs you and I to respond. I don't know when that situation's gonna come in your life, but ask the Lord now, open my eyes and show me the times when I need to respond. It may be someone on the side of the road with a car that's broken down. It may be when you're in an apartment complex after you leave here and you find out that someone doesn't have the food that they need or opportunity to serve them, or they lost someone that they love. Through death or there's cancer happening, one of the things that happen in the role and the as life rolls on, but you gotta ask yourself now, will I respond when that opportunity comes? A couple years ago, coming to work, it was a snowy day. I came upon in my neighborhood a car that was stuck in the snow. This is a simple example, but it's kind of funny. Because I stopped, because I you know I made that decision, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna help. And they were stuck in the snow, it was a Toyota Prius, it's one of those front wheel drives, and if you get stuck in a certain way, you can't get out of the snow bank. I got out of the car. Of course, I don't have any boots on, I've got my, my dress, I'm in my, I'm just dressed like this. And I get out and I asked the person to roll down the window, she rolled down the window, and I said, let me, let me help you, and if you'll keep the window down, I'll tell you when to, Press on the gas, and we'll go. So I got in, you know, in the back, like you know, as you can expect, a former offensive lineman to do, and grabbed a bumper. And I said, OK, step on the gas. And I pushed it, and out she went. And flat on my face, right in the snow. <laughs> and she kept on going. <laughs> and I thought, OK, Lord, this is good. Bless her as she goes. May she have a great day. And of course, fortunately, it's just snow. So I brushed it off, got back in the car, and came. That's just an example of the many opportunities God's given me. But it was, hum- it was humbling for me to say, okay, Lord, She's, okay, this is all what it's about. It's not about me. It's about being Christ to someone who's in need. Look for those opportunities, graduates, students. Look for those opportunities when they rise. And if we hear somebody screaming for help, let's not walk by let's actually stop and help. So I'm gonna ask Nina Barnes to come up now. Would you please welcome Nina to the podium.
5: Good morning. I wanna share a story that was written by Max Lucado and I adapted it. It's called The Song of the King. The three adventurers sat at the table and listened as the prince spoke. My father the king has pledged the opportunity for an elite leadership position to the first of you who can be proven worthy. The prince paused to let them take in the news. He looked at their faces and considered the many journeys each had taken. The kingdom knew no more experienced leaders and these three knew of no greater opportunity than this once-in-a-lifetime role. The king had promised only an opportunity, a test, to see which one was worthy of serving in the kingdom's inner circle. And now, the time for the test had arrived. Your test is a journey, the prince explained, a journey to the king's castle by way of hemlock. The forest, one quickly inquired, the forest, answered the prince. There was silence as all three carefully pondered the words. Each felt a stab of fear. They knew the danger of hemlock, a dark and deadly place. Parts of it were so thick with trees that the sunlight never found the floor. It was the home of the hope small, sly creatures with yellow eyes. hope knots were not very strong, but they were clever, and they were many. Some believed that the Hopeknots were lost travelers changed by the darkness, but no one really knew for sure. We will travel alone, Carlisle spoke, a strange question from the strongest of the three adventurers. His fierce sword was known throughout the kingdom, but even this steely soldier knew better than to travel hemlock unaccompanied. You may each select one companion, but the forest is thick, The trees make the sky black. How will we find the castle? This time it was Alan who spoke. He was not as strong as Carlisle, but he was much quicker. He was famous for his speed. Alan left trails of baffled enemies whose grasp he'd escaped by ducking into trees or scampering over walls. But swiftness is worthless if you have no direction. So Alan asked, how will we find the way? The prince nodded reached into his sack and pulled out an ivory flute. There were only two of these, he explained. This one and another in the possession of the king. He put the instruments to his lips and he played a soft, sweet aria. Never had they heard such soothing music. My father's flute plays the same song. His song will guide you to the castle. How is that, Alan asked. Three times a day, the king will play from the castle wall. When the sun rises, when the sun peaks, and when the sun sets, listen for him. Follow his song and you will find the castle. And there was only one other flute like this one? Only one. And you and your father play the same music? Yes. It was Quinlan inquiring. Quinlan was known for her alertness. She saw what others missed. She knew the home of travelers by the dirt on their boots. She knew the truth of the story by the eyes of the teller. She could tell the size of a marching army by the number of birds in flight. Carlisle and Alan wondered why Quinlan asked about the flute. It wouldn't be very long before they found out. Consider the danger and choose your companion carefully, the prince cautioned. The next morning, the three mounted their horses and entered Hemlock. Behind each rode their chosen companion. For the people in the castle, the days of waiting passed slowly. All knew of the test. And three times a day, the people stopped their work to listen. After many days and countless songs, a watchman spotted two figures stumbling out of the forest and into the clearing. No one could tell who they were. They were too far from the castle. They had no horses or weapons or armor. Hurry, commanded the king to his guards. Bring them in. Give them medical treatment, food, a place to bathe and clean clothing. But don't tell anyone who they are. We will see their faces tonight at the banquet. He then dismissed the crowds and told them to prepare for the feast. That evening, a festive spirit filled the banquet hall. At every table, people tried to guess who had survived Hemlock Forest. Finally, the moment came to present the victor. At the king's signal, the people became quiet, and he began to play the flute. Once again, the ivory instrument sang, and the people turned to see who would enter. Most thought it would be Carlisle, the strongest. Others were sure it would be Alan, the swiftest, but it was neither. The one who survived the journey was Quinlan, the wisest. She walked quickly across the floor, following the sound of the flute one final time and bowing before the king. Tell us of your journey. The people leaned forward to listen. The knots were treacherous, Quinlan began. They attacked, but we resisted. They took our horses, but we continued. What nearly destroyed us, though, was something far worse. What was that, asked the people. They imitated. They imitated, asked the king. Yes, my king, they imitated. Each time the song of your flute would enter the forest, a hundred flutes would begin to play. All around us, we heard music, songs from every direction. I do not know what became of Carlisle or Alan, she continued, but I know that strength and speed will not help one hear the right flute. The king asked the question that was on everyone's lips. Well, then, how did you hear my song? I chose the right companion, she answered, and she motioned for her companion to enter. The people gasped. It was the prince, and in his hand, he carried the other flute. I knew the only one who could play your song as you do was the prince. So I asked him to travel with me, and as we journeyed, he played. I learned your song so well that though a thousand false flutes tried to hide your music, I could still hear you. I knew your song and I followed it. Recorded in John 14, verse 9, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so students, we hear a lot of music all day long. We hear a lot of sounds, some are pleasant, some are dissonant, but they all capture our attention. And so we have to discern, what is the song? What is the right way to go? What road are we being invited to travel? And they're not all bad roads, but what is the road in this season that you're being invited to travel? And so my prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you learn the song of your king. And that though other voices try to distract you, that you will remember that song. And I pray that others will remind you of that song. That you'll be there for one another. That when you see somebody going off the path, that you would call them back and point them in the right direction. Darren is gonna come back up and he's gonna pray for you. And so as he is doing that, I would ask that all of the graduates stand. Don't be shy.
0: So look around the room. These are, these are our graduates. Let's pray together. We pray for our graduates today and lift them before you, Father. We thank you so much for these students and for the work you are continuing to do in their lives. They are a gift to to Northwestern and a gift to many others. And during this season of new beginnings, we ask that you would make their way clear. We ask that you would keep their footsteps firm and remind them that you are with them always. May they sense the power of your Holy Spirit over their lives. May they be strengthened, instilled with hope for the new adventures you have in store. We ask for your wisdom and clear direction over their lives that you would give them understanding beyond their years. Thank you that your timing is perfect, God. We pray that you would direct their steps, that your plans for them would prosper, that every place you have determined for them to walk would be paved clear. We ask for you to open doors that need to be opened and close each one that should be shut tight. Allow every gift that you have given them to grow, develop, and flourish, and may they feel your peace and your presence always. Amen.